You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 991. To Boston. Bloomberg 1061. To San Francisco. Bloomberg 960. To the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe. The Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. It's 5.30 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm John Tucker. And I'm Karen Moscow. We're just about four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news. You need to know at this hour. S&P futures are little changed this morning after the S&P climbed about 1% yesterday. We've been up and down all week as traders assess the path of Fed policy. Jane Foley is head of FX strategy at Rabobank. I think the Fed is more likely to go the full Monty. They need to get their credibility back. You know, there's been so many accusations over the last few months that they are behind the curve, that they could have acted sooner on inflation. Even some of their own have admitted that perhaps they should have started to hike before they did at the end of of last year to to keep demand in check. Train Foley at Rabobank sees dollar strength continuing. Minutes from the latest Fed meeting show officials looking to raise interest rates by 50 basis points at each of their next two decisions. Is it time to buy the dip in stocks? That's according to Strat just at uh, Citigroup, who say shares in Europe and emerging markets are the most attractive. City's bear market checklist currently warning on just six of 18 red flags that compares to 13 red flags before the 2008 financial crisis. Well, big tech is in focus this morning, John, after weak earnings from NVIDIA. Shares of the chip maker down 5.5%. It says China's COVID lockdowns and the war in Ukraine will weigh on results. NVIDIA said that'll cut sales by about $500 million this quarter. And we also have fresh news from Apple. Sources say the company plans to keep iPhone production flat this year as the environment turns challenging for the smartphone industry. At the same time, Apple boosting pay for its workers. The company's raising U.S. salaries by 10% or more as it faces a tight labor market and efforts to unionize, shares are down more than 1%. 
Well, Twitter is gaining in pre-market trading, John, after Elon Musk changed plans to fund his acquisition. He's no longer looking to use a margin loan for his $44 billion purchase of the social media company. And Bloomberg's Renita Young is here live with the story. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Karen. A regulatory filing shows Elon Musk is providing an additional $6.25 billion in equity financing to buy out Twitter. That'll increase the size of the deal's equity component to $33.5 billion, and it's enough to eliminate the margin loan. This new structure could reduce the risk of the deal for both Musk and his lenders, particularly given the recent slide in Tesla's stock price. Shares of Tesla have sunk about 40 percent since Musk first announced his stake in Twitter in early April. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, thanks, Renita. And ahead of the open on Wall Street, S&P futures, right now they have turned flat. NASDAQ futures down 34, Dow futures up 34 points. This is Bloomberg. It's now 5.33 on Wall Street. Time to bring in Michael Barr with more of what else is going on in New York and around the world. John, thank you, sir. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says several concerning social media posts from the gunmen were discovered moments before the rampage began at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde. 21 people died before the 18-year-old gunman was killed by law enforcement. Governor Abbott brushed aside calls for strict gun legislation, noting that major cities have their own gun laws in place, but they don't work. And we need to realize that, that people who think that, well, maybe we could just implement tougher gun laws, it's going to solve it. Chicago and L.A. and New York disproved that thesis. During the briefing, Beto O'Rourke, who is running against Abbott for governor, interrupted the news conference saying this shooting was totally predictable. New York Governor Kathy Hochul wants to raise the age to 21 for purchasing the type of firearms used in recent mass shootings in Buffalo and Texas. The governor also says she held an emergency meeting with state police. And I said, I want state police patrols visiting our schools, doing daily check-ins, Every single day from today to the end of the school year. Governor Hochul, a man accused of randomly murdering a passenger on a New York City subway train, was denied bail during his first court appearance. Andrew Abdullah's lawyer urged the judge and the public not to rush to judgment. On the second anniversary of the death of George Floyd, President Biden signed an executive order to address police accountability. The executive order raises standards. Bans chokeholds, restricts no-knock warrants, tightens use of force policies to emphasize de-escalation and duty to intervene to stop another officer from using executive force. President Biden also criticized the Senate for not passing reforms in the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. The close race between Trump-backed Mehmet Oz and David McCormick has triggered a recount in the Republican primary for a Pennsylvania U.S. Senate seat. Global news, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg John. Michael, thank you. As now 5.36 on Wall Street, that's time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Here's Scott Seidenberg. Good morning, John. Rookie J.P. Sears made his first big league start, tossing five scoreless innings as the Yankees blanked the Orioles 2-0, both runs coming in the bottom of the fourth inning on a Miguel Andujar single and a throwing error. Prior to the game, the Yankees placed Giancarlo Stanton on the 10-day IL. Aaron Boone, after the game, talked about the win with players stepping up. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a tough couple days for us, just just with you know some people going down and things, and really excited to see those guys 
step in and play key roles and help us get another series victory. It was a different story for the Mets rookie starter, Thomas Sapucky, who was roughed up in his first big league start. Evan Longoria homered twice. Jock Peterson went deep for the fourth time in two games as the Giants route the Mets 9-3. Sapucky tagged for all nine runs on seven hits and three walks in just an inning and a third. The Mets losing back-to-back games for just the first time since April 10th and 11th. Hockey tonight, it's game five between the Rangers and the Hurricanes from Carolina with the series tied at two games apiece. NBA, the Celtics are one win away from the NBA Finals after a 93-80 win over the Heat last night in Miami. Tonight, the Warriors look to close out the Mavericks in game five of the Western Finals. Tennis at the French Open. Rafael Nadal reached 300 Grand Slam match victories with his second round win. Only Roger Federer with 369 and Novak Djokovic with 325 have more wins at major tournaments. I'm Scott Seidenberg with Bloomberg Sports. John? All right, thanks, Scott. 5.37 on Wall Street. Time now for the Tri-State Business Report. And for that, we're joined by Bloomberg's Ed Curry. New York City's tax revenue will likely decline amid an economic slowdown due to the Fed's projected rate hikes this year. George Sweeting, the budget office's acting director, says the agency has lowered its annual March tax revenue forecasts for the next three fiscal years due to plans by the Fed to continue tightening monetary policy. Robert A.M. Stern is bringing his New York touch to West Palm Beach. The architect, whose firm designs some of the top residential buildings in New York, is working on a project in West Palm where prices are expected to set records for a city that was once seen as Palm Beach's less glamorous neighbor. Avello Airlines begins serving the Windy City today with nonstop service to southern Connecticut from Chicago Midway. The airline says the flight offers Chicago a more convenient and affordable gateway to the New England and New York areas. That's your Bloomberg Tri-State Business Report. I'm Ed Corey. All right, thanks, Andy. It is 538 on Wall Street. Bloomberg Radio is on the air from San Francisco to New York, London to Hong Kong. And let's check in now with our global news team for some of the top stories heard on our 300 affiliate radio stations around the world. I'm Steve Potus on 1010 Winds in New York. We're talking about how the biggest U.S. cities got smaller during the pandemic. I'm Courtney Donahoe on KTRH in Houston. Drivers are beginning to balk at record high gas prices. I'm Caroline Hepcom, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio in London. We're reporting on how Boris Johnson's government is hoping to move on from the Partygate scandal with a package of new measures to help households hit by the cost of living crisis. I'm Gina Cervetti and for WBBM in Chicago, I'm reporting that the city has moved a step closer to getting its first ever casino. I'm Ed Corey on WWJ in Detroit. I'm reporting the Aloft Hotel downtown will become part of Marriott's autograph collection. And those are some of the stories our 2,700 Bloomberg journalists and analysts are working on this morning around the world. It is now 539 on Wall Street. The following is an editorial from Bloomberg Opinion. After a gunman killed 19 children and two educators at a Texas elementary school this week, Americans responded with grief and anger. As the collective shock subsides, however, it needs to give way to purposeful outrage. After all, no other country in the world has persistent mass shootings like this. And most Americans support passing common-sense gun safety laws. From time to time, Congress has come close to acting, then failed to. This is a dereliction of duty. 
Voters should marshal their anger and direct it against politicians and interests who have persistently blocked reasonable reforms. The U.S. is not yet at the point where mass shootings fail to elicit shock, sadness, and outrage. But that's not much comfort, especially when the steps we can take to prevent another massacre are so manifestly before us. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Opinion Editorial Board. I'm David Shipley. For more Bloomberg Opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com slash opinion or OPI and go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. Yeah, Bloomberg Opinion editorials can be heard every weekday at this time. Terminal customers, read more at OPI and go. Dow futures right now turned up 38 points. S&P futures unchanged, and the Nasdaq futures still lower. They're down 36 points. You're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. And the weather forecast for today, cloudy, maybe a shower, high around 70. Tomorrow, clouds, showers, thunderstorms, Saturday showers and storms. Sunday, partly sunny, Memorial Day, mix of sun and clouds, a high 80. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Thursday, May 26, 2022. Coming up this hour. Big Tech feels the pinch of supply chain bottlenecks and COVID lockdowns. Elon Musk's revised Twitter bid sends shares higher in the pre-market. And President Biden signs a key executive order two years after George Floyd's death. New York Governor Hochul wants to raise the age to buy guns. Plus, the alleged gunman in Sunday's deadly subway shooting is being held without I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm Scott Seidenberg. The Yankees win, the Mets lose, and the Rangers go for a 3-2 series lead tonight. I'll have that and more coming up in sports. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. On Bloomberg 1130 New York. Bloomberg 99.1 Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 1061 Boston. Bloomberg 960 San Francisco. Sirius XM 119. And around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. Good morning, I'm Karen Moscow. And I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Daybreak, being brought to you by Informatica. In the cloud, your data has the power to do the extraordinary. Manage data across any location of the cloud for accurate and actionable insights. More at Informatica.com. And futures are lower, being dragged down by technology shares. We're coming up to 501 on Wall Street, and we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. Right now, NASDAQ futures are down 54 points. That's down almost half percent. S&P futures down about five points, and Dow futures are little changed. John. And, Karen, it looks like markets are looking for direction this morning. It's been an up-and-down week. The Nasdaq's lower in early trading following some shakeups in big tech. Pepper International founder and CEO Carol Pepper believes the outlook remains strong despite uncertainty. When prices get too high on goods right now, consumers are backing off. The stagflation assumes that you have high inflation and that the prices and no growth. I just don't think that's going to happen anymore. I really think we're going to be much more in a situation where inflation will start tapering down and then we'll start to get into more normalized market probably by the end of the year. Pepper International founder Carol Pepper also believes the U.S. will avoid a recession this year. 
Well, John, shares of NVIDIA are down in early trading, though off their lowest levels. They slid as much as 10 percent after earnings missed estimates. And NVIDIA said China's COVID lockdowns and the war in Ukraine are weighing on sales forecasts. The chipmaker's CEO also says it's doing its best to combat supply chain bottlenecks. Shares are down about 6 percent in the pre-market. And Apple also shaking up NASDAQ futures with a couple of announcements. Sources say the company plans to keep iPhone production flat this year. It's asked suppliers to assemble approximately 220 million iPhones. That's about the same as last year. Apple also revealed it's raising salaries for U.S. workers by 10%. Bloomberg Quick Take anchor Alex Webb says it's an important step to retain workers. You have two things, really. You've got this unionization threat, which is something which has been happening across a bunch of tech companies, not least Amazon. So there's a suspicion this is sort of trying to fend that off and say, well, we pay you pretty well already. There's also the threat of people hiring both the engineers, but also from those stores. And Bloomberg's Alex Webb says Apple's biggest number of employers comes from its stores. Shares of Apple down 1% in early trading. Well, John, yesterday's Fed minutes also driving markets this morning. Officials revealed a less hawkish tone than expected. They plan to raise interest rates by 50 basis points at each of the next two meetings, leaving them with flexibility to change course later. Another Fed note, there's where the, the Kansas City Fed President Esther George will retire in January. George will leave her post at about the same time as Chicago Fed Chief Charles Evans. That will create two openings among the 12 regional Fed banks next year. Well, stocks in Europe opening higher this morning, John. Energy shares are leading the stock 600 following gains in oil prices. Overnight in Asia, stocks were choppy following concerning comments from a top Chinese official. And Bloomberg's Juliet Sally joins us with the details from Singapore. Juliet, good morning. Good morning, John and Karen. Chinese stocks fluctuated while bonds rallied and the offshore yuan led Asian EMFX losses as Premier Lee warned China's economy is in some respects faring worse than in 2020. Japanese stocks edged up on reopening prospects and Alibaba was in focus in Hong Kong ahead of its earnings report. The Korean won weekend after the Bank of Korea raised its key interest rate on Thursday and indicated further hikes are coming as it indicated stabilizing inflation is its key goal. In Singapore, Juliet Sali, Bloomberg Daybreak. Julia, thanks. Back here in the U.S., there's more news from the tech sector. Twitter shares higher in early trading after Elon Musk changed plans to fund his acquisition. He's no longer looking to use a margin loan for his $44 billion purchase of the social media company. And Bloomberg's Renita Young is here live with a story. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, John. A regulatory filing shows Elon Musk is providing an additional $6.25 billion in equity financing to buy out Twitter. That'll increase the size of the deal equity component to $33.5 billion, and it's enough to eliminate the margin loan. Now, this new structure could reduce the risk of the deal for both Musk and his lenders, particularly given the recent slide in Tesla's stock price. Shares of Tesla have sunk about 40 percent since Musk first announced his stake in Twitter in early April. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Renita, thank you. We turn to politics now and the latest move from the White House. Two years to the day since George Floyd's death, President Joe Biden signed an executive order aimed at law enforcement accountability. And Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the story. President Biden, along with Vice President Kamala Harris, says the administration couldn't wait any longer for the Senate to pass legislation. And Harris says it's not aimed at hurting police, but communication. To strengthen trust between law enforcement and the communities they serve. It creates a new national law enforcement and accountability database. 
to track records of misconduct so that an officer can't hide the misconduct. And mandates the use of body cameras and record-keeping. He says the administration will continue to try and get legislation passed. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, thanks, Ed. And in Pennsylvania this morning, a high-profile Republican Senate race headed for a recount. Amy Morris has details from our Bloomberg 99.1 newsroom in Washington. Celebrity Dr. Mehmet Oz, who has Donald Trump's support, leads former Bridgewater Associates CEO David McCormick by 902 votes. That's enough to trigger an automatic recount. Pennsylvania's acting Secretary of State Lee Chapman says previous recounts and similar tight races in the past have not changed the results of the elections. Counties have to begin the recount by June 1st, and they must be completed by June 7th. In Washington, I'm Amy Morris, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Amy, thank you. S&P futures down about six points this morning. Dow futures down 11. NASDAQ futures down 53. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines, plus a check of sports. And this is Bloomberg. Thanks, Karen. 507 on Wall Street. And time to bring in Michael Barr with more on what else is going on in New York and around the world. John, thank you very much, sir. Investigators say they have yet to determine a motive for a mass shooting at a Texas grade school that left 21 dead. Governor Abbott says the only warning came in a series of private Facebook messages sent Tuesday morning. He said, I'm going to shoot my grandmother. The second post was, I shot my grandmother. The third post, maybe less than 15 minutes before arriving at the school, was, I'm going to shoot an elementary school. Governor Rabbit called the 18-year-old gunman a demented person. Meanwhile, Houston, Texas is preparing for protests of a National Rifle Association convention beginning tomorrow. Former President Trump is expected to attend. New York Governor Kathy Hochul is calling for raising the age to 21 for purchasing assault weapons. Hochul says she wants to raise the legal purchasing age for AR-15-style rifles. That's the same type of weapon used in Tuesday's mass shooting in Texas that left 21 people dead, including 19 children. We must harness that outrage and that anger and that disgust that there could be someone with such wanton evil in their heart that they would acquire an AR-15, go to a schoolyard after shooting their own grandmother and opening up on innocent children and teachers. Governor Hochul says, I don't want 18-year-olds to have guns, at least not in the state of New York. A man accused of randomly murdering a fellow passenger on a New York City subway train has made his first court appearance. A lawyer urged the judge and the public not to rush to judgment. Andrew Abdullah was ordered held without bail in the death of 48-year-old Daniel Enriquez, who was on his way to a Sunday brunch in Manhattan when he was shot. Democrat Antonio Delgado has been sworn in as New York's lieutenant governor, becoming the state's first person of Latino heritage to serve in statewide office. Delgado takes over for Brian Benjamin, who resigned following his arrest in April for federal corruption charges. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries, I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg. John. Michael, thank you. It's now 510 on Wall Street, and it's time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Here's Scott Seidenberg. Thanks, John. The Mets fell to the Giants yesterday. Rookie Thomas Sapucky was roughed up in his first big league start. Evan Longoria homered twice. Jock Peterson won deep for the fourth time in two games. 
as the Giants beat the Mets 9-3. For Zapucky, he allowed nine runs on seven hits and three walks in just an inning and a third. A much different result for Yankees rookie pitcher J.P. Sears, making his first big league start. Sears tossed five scoreless innings as the Yankees blanked the Orioles 2-0. Hockey tonight, game five between the Rangers and Hurricanes from Carolina. Here's head coach Gerard Gallant. We played them two real good games in the building last week, and, you know, we didn't come up with a win, but we played two good hockey games. So got to keep working, keep playing, and it's going to be a big game five in their building. NBA, the Celtics beat the Heat 93-80. They're now one win away from a trip to the NBA Finals. Tonight, the Warriors look to close out the Mavericks in game five of the Western Finals. Tennis at the French Open. Reigning women's singles and doubles champ Barbara Krejcikova was upset in the first round on Monday, and now... She will not defend her doubles title as the world's number two player tested positive for COVID-19. Elsewhere, Rafael Nadal reached 300 Grand Slam match victories with his second round win. Only Roger Federer with 369 and Novak Djokovic with 325 have more wins at major tournaments. I'm Scott Seidenberg with Bloomberg Sports. John? All right, thanks, uh, Scott. And ahead of the cash open on Wall Street, we have futures right now. Kind of treading water, Dow futures down just to seven points. S&P E-mini futures just to five points lower right now. That's down a tenth of a percent. And the tech heavy NASDAQ futures 52 points lower. That is down four tenths of a percent. As we look for a measure of volatility, Wall Street's fear gauge, the VIX right now, 28.42. And the euro unchanged at 106.81. The 10-year yield in the U.S., 2.71%. That is down two basis points this morning. And you're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. Daybreak brought to you by the New York Community Trust. Your name will live on as a champion of the causes you care about for years to come through a charitable bequest to the New York Community Trust. Learn more at philanthropist.nyc. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. Technology shares leading futures lower this morning. Traders also weighing Federal Reserve minutes that struck a less hawkish tone. And we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. Right now, NASDAQ futures are down about 47 points. S&P futures are a little changed. So are Dow futures. And the DAX in Germany is up about four-tenths of a percent. The 10-year Treasury up 6.30 seconds. The yield 2.72 percent. The yield on the two-year 2.46 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up 7 tenths percent or 75 cents at $111.08 a barrel. COMEX gold is down 2 tenths percent or $3.60 at $18.48.90 an ounce. The euro 1.0681 against the dollar. British pound 1.2559. And the yen 126.72. And bitcoins lower down more than 2 percent at $29,100. Today we're looking for a second read on first quarter gross domestic product at 8.30 Wall Street time along with a weekly report on initial jobless claims. Pending home sales are out at 10, and Macy's is among companies scheduled to report earnings today. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. 
Thank you very much. The father of a child killed by a shooting rampage at a Texas elementary school says police were slow to move in and were unprepared. Javier Caceres says the father of the fourth grader, Jacqueline Caceres, one of the 19 youngsters who died along with two teachers in a classroom at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde. However, the head of the Texas Department of Public Safety says law enforcement immediately engaged the shooter and contained him in the classroom. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts, more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg. John. Michael, thank you. 519 on Wall Street. We're live for the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. We'd like you to bring an interview now from the World Economic Forum in Davos. Fidelity CEO Ann Richards sat down with Bloomberg's Francine Lacroix for a conversation about market volatility and food prices and how long she expects the uncertainty might last. Let's listen to that interview right now. I know you're always extremely thoughtful about the markets. I don't know what it feels like from where you're sitting today. Are you worried about the future, or are there glimmers of hope? Well, there's always glimmers of hope. We're never completely without hope, but it's a pretty tough environment. Um, I think... When you look at where we've come from and the extent of the correction that you've come from, you definitely in equity markets have seen a fairly substantial derating, and probably that's pretty much run its course. And now it's all about what the earnings patterns are from here and and obviously what the central banks managed to do in terms of bringing inflation under control. So are you expecting a lot more of a correction when it comes to some of the earnings? I mean, it's all about margins and extremely difficult for certain, you know, parts of the industries to pass on higher consumer inflation. The risk of a recession has unquestionably gone up. Um, I'm not certain yet that all parts of the world are going to go into recession. Markets are discounting mechanisms, so they've discounted part of that. But clearly, if the backdrop of the economic environment accelerates in a downward direction, I think you could see more volatility in markets. So I don't think we're through this period yet, but I think there is some hope that possibly we could be seeing the sort of peak of the bearishness, but we're not quite through it yet. So what happens in the next couple of quarters, and how difficult is that to predict for an asset manager? Does it change the way you work? Look, it's terribly difficult to predict. So that's, you know, that, that I think, as, as you know, this kind of environment, which is like a turning point in sentiment, a turning point in the sort of economic backdrop, really, really difficult. And, of course, we're coming into this from a very unusual cycle, yeah. right? So we've had a compressed, deep recession followed by the most extraordinary bounce back. And then on top of that, you've had these external supply shocks, first of all, on the oil price side. Um, and then, of course, with the second wave, big wave of COVID in China, with the sort of contraction of economic activity there and the sort of stumbling uh, blocks that have been put in on the supply chain, that has been sort of a double external shock, which has once again put this huge amount of grit into the economic machinery. That being said, I think you're starting to see the Shanghai situation in particular improve, Mm -hmm. which I think is is a big tick. And where we get to on the oil price, the gas price, I think is the next big thing that you sort of hang on. But as I think, as, so, so what do you, what do you do when you face into this? I think diversification is, is extremely important in that. We think probably that in terms of bond markets, it'll be credit spreads mm-hmm. that take the strain rather than the bond market itself, the, if you like treasury. So we think, you know, government bonds probably feel less volatile from here rather than, than credit. But it is still quite a challenging environment. And I think we've probably got another two quarters at least of, of volatility as we see the sort of economic backdrop gradually um, ease a little.
little bit and then we'll be looking towards the fourth quarter maybe to see a little more clarity. Do through. your clients and want exposure to China? Interesting. So we're still seeing quite positive sentiment on China, notwithstanding the, the sort of more difficult backdrops that we've seen. It's such an, an important and major part of the world economy and yeah. probably is the part of the world where you'll see economic activity resume more quickly. Um, so we're definitely still seeing quite a lot of um, positive sentiment towards towards China, particularly given the correction that you've seen in quite a lot of the, of the market there. Um, we caught up at a dinner yesterday and you said, I want to come on and talk about the F word. And, and the table stopped in your track. And he's like, and food. How should we look at food and food inflation and food security? Is this, a, you know, the biggest challenge of our time? Yeah, so I, I, one of the things that has been just uh, both, um, I think, really constructive about the conversations this week is how the risk of a food crisis has gone right up the agenda and you've seen a tremendous amount of leaning in from all sorts of parts of, of both the political and if you like the, the corporate infrastructure to figure out how can we avert a major food crisis. Some good news overnight about maybe beginning to find a way where we might get some of the grain out of Ukraine and that is a really, really important step in all of this. We're not very yet. But I think it's been one of those examples for actually getting people physically together, talking constructively. Of course, President Zelensky challenged everybody on Monday, like, you know, you've got to get on top of this, people. Um, and I think you've definitely seen some of those conversations progress. So we're not out of the woods yet on that. But I think we have made real progress this week in actually figuring out what it is we need to do to make sure that food and the food chain does not get weaponized in times of war. And if we've managed to achieve that this week, I think that will be a tremendous tremendous result. Fidelity's CEO Ann Richards speaking with Bloomberg's Francine Lacroix at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. You can catch more of that interview online at Bloomberg.com. Ahead of the open on Wall Street, futures have turned mixed. Dow futures now up 40 points. That's up one-tenth of a percent. S&P futures a point higher than NASDAQ futures down 35. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. The Bloomberg weather for today from meteorologist Rob Carolyn. Mostly cloudy, then maybe a shower later today. The high temperature about 70 degrees. Cloudy tonight, chances showers, lows in the mid-60s. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. And U.S. stock index futures have been fluctuating this morning. This is Traders Way Federal Reserve minutes that struck a less hawkish note. Right now, S&P futures are up nine points. Dow futures are up 101. And NASDAQ futures are little change. The DAX in Germany is up six-tenths of a percent. Ten-year Treasury up three-thirty-seconds. Yield 2.73 percent. The yield on the two-year, 2.46 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up one percent, up $1.10 at $111.44 a barrel. Comex Gold is down two tenths percent or two dollars seventy cents at eighteen forty nine eighty an ounce. The euro one point oh six nine six against the dollar. British pound one point two five nine three and the yen one twenty six point seven six. Looking at Bitcoin, it's down two percent at twenty nine thousand one hundred eighty dollars. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Karen, thank you very much. Across the country, law enforcement and school officials are ramping up security in the wake of the Texas shooting that left 19 school children and two teachers dead.
The retired police officer killed while trying to stop the gunman in a racist attack at a Buffalo supermarket was laid to rest. Aaron Salter was posthumously promoted to lieutenant and awarded the Medal of Honor. Another big plane load of baby formula has arrived in the United States to help ease the shortage worried by parents that they're facing trying to feed their babies. In the NBA playoffs, the Celtics beat the Heat. Boston is now a game away from advancing to the finals. In baseball, the Yankees shut out the Orioles to zip. The Giants beat the Mets. The Red Sox lost. The Nationals and A's won. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts from more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg John. Michael, thank you. It is 549 on Wall Street. We are live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. Let's get you set up for the trading day ahead. We are joined now by Josh Wine, Vice President, Portfolio Manager, Hennessy Funds. Josh, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Can you make the bull case for stocks this morning? Yeah, good to be with you. I'll certainly try. Yeah, uh, very bullish on the market, notwithstanding some some incredible volatility that we've seen. So, yeah, I think that where we are right now, you know, certainly, you know, since late March, we've just had lower lows and lower highs on the market. But uh, taking a step back, you know, we we are at about 16 times earnings, uh, 2023 earnings. So we've got about a 6% earnings yield. Uh, we have a 10-year that can't get above three. We're at about 2.8. So that Six versus eight, six versus two eight is pretty compelling. I mean, so that's where we were uh, before we started talking about a pandemic uh, two or three years ago. Uh, one thing that I was looking at, you know, we talk a lot about cash on the balance sheet of S and P five hundred companies at about seven point four trillion. So a lot of cash, but I think even more importantly is just kind of where we are now versus you know several years ago. So you know, net debt, you know, cash, you know, as a you know, we look at debt and then cash and then and operating cash flow. So the ratio from of net debt to EBITDA is less than one. And so putting that in perspective, at the end of 08, it was above three. So I think that we are on solid footing, uh, balance sheet-wise, uh, liquidity-wise, uh, and valuation-wise. So, yeah, I think it's a great setup. Uh, you know, once we get a little bit more clarity around interest rate hikes, I think we're we're good for another leg higher. How does it set us up for earnings season going forward? Yeah, well, earnings season has absolutely been tough. So I think what people thought would be relatively safe, you know, things like retail, uh, you know, Target, Walmart, things of that nature, we now see. And we, and I guess in retrospect, we all should have known it, but we maybe chose to ignore it that, you know, there are some pressures from, you know, higher gas prices and that comes into gross margins and, and certainly, you know, shipping costs and, the consumers feeling it clearly uh, in their wallet. Uh, I think there's this big reset, and so certainly this is where we see the results of what's been going on for so long. All this liquidity flowing into the system, and and you know higher fuel prices. So I think that this is a transition period. Uh, we've seen realized volatility just in the last year, uh, nearly double. So certainly people don't know what to make of all of this, but. You know, I think that, you know, it's not forever, and I think that, uh, you know, it's just an, a natural progression as we, you know, see higher rates and, and hopefully some kind of a pause toward the end of the year. Do you interpret the Fed minutes as being less hawkish? I think that they're more flexible. I think that, you know, the Fed certainly, unfortunately, I think what the market's realizing just in the last few months is that the Fed, you know, supply isn't going to come to the rescue here. So inflation is now going to have to be dealt with on the demand side. So they, 
you know, without maybe saying it explicitly, they need to d- destroy a little bit of demand uh, from the consumer. And so that's certainly not pleasant news. It's it's a tough way to deal with it all, uh, but it has to be done. So, uh, you know, I think that the Fed is doing what they're doing. They're going to, you know, stick with the plan, kind of some 50 basis point moves. But I think toward the end of the year, this idea that they would have some flexibility to, you know, take a step back uh, is, is welcome news. We saw the market rally on that. Uh, so, yeah, and, yeah and, and build on that very a little bit. You know, I think they need to do to do these rate hikes. You know, they need some room to maneuver in the case of some kind of big, you know, shock to the market. And they didn't have that up until up until late. So, uh, you know, it would be hard to cut when there's nothing to cut. So now there's something to cut in the future, but they still do need to raise rates in the near term. Can you real quick give us one name you like? Yeah, absolutely. So in our Hennessy Gas Utility Fund, you know, I would point out Chesapeake Utilities. So I think in a market like this, you need a you know great balance sheet, some earnings growth, some visibility. Uh, Chesapeake's been raising their dividend for 19 consecutive years, uh, nearly a 2% uh, yield, about 9.5% uh, growth in that dividend over the last five years. Okay. Uh, you know, natural gas utility. Josh? A pleasure. Josh Wine, Vice President, Portfolio Manager at Hennessy Funds. Karen. Thanks, John. It is 553 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Law Report. We get to the legal stories we're watching this morning from Bloomberg's Joan Doniger. Florida federal court has ruled a law in Colorado requires a cut in the damages awarded an Army veteran in a suit over 3M combat earplugs. The veteran had been awarded $55 million by a jury. The cut leaves him with just short of $22 million. The Biden administration's pick to lead research and development at the Environmental Protection Agency is a step closer to confirmation. The Senate voted to cut off debate on Christopher Fry's nomination. And the Biden administration soon will propose requiring major companies that do business with the federal government to disclose their greenhouse gas emissions. Bloomberg Law. Everything you need, all on one legal research platform, including guidance, analysis, and Bloomberg Market Intelligence. Find out more at BloombergLaw.com. All right, Joan, thank you. Now another legal story. We're watching Title 42, the COVID-19 immigration policy, will remain in place until legal proceedings play out, likely until well into next year. A Louisiana federal judge made the ruling in a case brought by 24 Republican-led states, and it appears that the Biden administration is in no rush to challenge the temporary injunction issued by the judge. For more on the case, Bloomberg's June Grasso speaks to Leon Fresco, a partner at Holland and Knight. Leon, explain why the judge said the Biden administration can't rescind Title 42. Well, the judge had a few bases for saying that the Title 42 rescission could not be put in place. And basically, the first and the main rationale is that the judge said that the CDC needed to use the APA's notice and comment process in order to revoke Title 42, which is interesting because you didn't need to actually use the notice and comment process to implement Title 42. So it's a strange sort of logic that would say you would need to actually use notice and comment to rescind Title 42. And then secondly, the judge said that the CDC's rationale is overbroad. The White House says it's going to comply with the court's order, but it's going to appeal the decision. Does this indicate a prolonged legal battle that will most likely end up at the Supreme Court? Well, yes, and what's very interesting about what's occurred, 
sort of the unreported nugget for whatever reason out of all of this is that even though the Biden administration has appealed, they appear not to have asked for a say of the district court's ruling. And so what that means is they're not taking the fast track on appeal. They're taking the slow track on appeal, which means that theoretically speaking, Title 42 could be in place until well into 2023, maybe the middle of 2023. Well, this brings me to a question I believe I've asked you before. Is the Biden administration secretly happy or relieved that this judge saved Title 42? Well, the only implication that one could draw from the fact that they're not moving for a say of the district judge's order is that they want Title 42 to remain in place. And I'm surprised they're not getting more pushback from the immigration rights advocacy community on this fact, because at the end of the day, if you were really intent on eliminating Title 42 as a policy, you'd be pushing for a, a say of this. But apparently there's just no desire to, to move for a say, which means You'd go through the normal Fifth Circuit process, which could take six months to a year, and then the Supreme Court process, which could take another six months to a year. And that's Leon Fresco, a partner at Holland and Knight, speaking with Bloomberg's June Grosso. Catch more of that interview, plus analysis of the latest legal news by subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast or downloading the show at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com and on the Bloomberg Terminal at BlawGo. And still ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, we have a check on the business headlines and all the news you need to start your day. And this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.